Next on BYUSN, the best projection of them all on NFL Draft Eve. We examine the experts' projections for BYU's Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and Puka Nakua. And what matters most in the draft, round or team? Welcome to BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. I am Spencer Linton, alongside a man who will release his full seven-round NFL mock draft in 58 minutes, right, Jerem Jordan? That is coming up on Saturday night when the draft is over. I would just say, here's NFL.com's link to that. <laughs> um, if you do a seven-round mock... That's a lot. That's, that's uh, you know, a lot, okay? Um, it is your life. But it is like your main gig. That is not our main gig here. Our main gig today includes... New York Times best-selling author and friend of the program, Jeff Benedict in studio to talk about his new book called LeBron uh, and the Danny Ainge quote, in it you need to hear. How well did AI rank the top 10 players in BYU football history? Mitch Harper of KSL took that to task. And the BYU football chief of staff, perhaps the greatest job title of anyone on campus, mm. John Swift tells us about the renovations at the football offices. But first, here are today's headlines. Hey, speaking of pre-NFL draft rankings, ESPN's Todd McShay has released his final NFL draft rundown. Blake Freeland, number 93 overall in McShay's list, the 10th best offensive tackle. Jaron Hall, number 123 overall, 7th best quarterback. Puka Nakua comes in at 280, number 36 wide receiver. Others include Chris Brooks, the 40th best running back. Caleb Hayes, number 41 at cornerback. Jake Oldroyd makes an appearance as the 10th best available kicker. And Houston Haymooley as the number eight fullback slash H-back. Softball beats Utah State 10-5 yesterday thanks to a six-run second inning. Hunter Ava led the way going two for two, a homer in the first, her team leading ninth of the season, and four RBI. Cougars host Utah Tech tonight, 7 Eastern on the BYU TV app. Austin Deming's best week ever continues. The star for BYU Baseball now has four National Player of the Week awards, hey. including the Dick Hauser Trophy National Player of the Week, the D1 Baseball National Hitter of the Week, the Blast Baseball National Player of the Week. What? Exactly. And <laughs> Rawlings College Player of the Week. This and the BYU Sports Deming, Nation Player of the Week. This after Deming produced 11 runs, 12 hits, 15 runs batted in, and four home runs all last week. I think you somehow hit another one from when you started saying that headline to now. Out of here! Yoli Childs, 21.7 boards for Violia Towers Amberg in a win over Krailsheim mm -hmm. in Germany last night. I know that's a huge rivalry. On to some Major League Baseball news. Michael Rucker pitched one scoreless inning yesterday for the Chicago Cubs. He had a strikeout in that inning as the Cubs beat the Padres 6-0. Listen to this. Rucker's current ERA, 2.61 on the season. Not bad in the Major Leagues. All rise and shout. It's time for Watch Trend. What's Trending presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Auto Group serving Utah since 1968. We are examining the NFL Draft Examiners on draft day eve. It's time to, to a degree, sort through the seven round mock drafts. There have been many. We have chosen three specifics to focus on and discuss how those pertain to all of the big three BYU players that are 
projected to go in the draft at some point this weekend. Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and Puka Nakua. Now, the three mock drafts we have focused in on are Matt Miller of ESPN, Jordan Reed, who was a guest of the program last week, also with ESPN, and Pro Football Focus. Jerem, I'm going to read the three different projections, starting with Jaron Hall. You tell me what you like best, what you hate most, and we'll go from there. I don't know that I'm going to hate any of them, but yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Matt Miller of ESPN, speaking of Jaron Hall, has BYU's quarterback going in the third round, 65th overall to the Houston Texans. Jordan Reed told us last week he likes Hall in the sixth round and his fit at number 192 with the New England Patriots. Pro Football Focus is the latest projection on Jaron Hall, seventh round, 254th overall to the Giants, essentially making him Mr. Irrelevant. Jerem, what do you like and dislike about these three projections for Jaron Hall? Okay, the one I like the most is Jordan Reed's, mainly because of fit with the Patriots. They're trying to figure it out, whether it's Mac Jones or uh, Bailey Zappi, right, who came in and suddenly that, he upset the apple cart a little bit. There's no pressure to need to be the guy in that situation, which is uh, what Jaron Hall will encounter. It's not a Zach Wilson situation where you're the second pick, you're expected to be good and start right away. Offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien is there now after a really successful run with Alabama, uh, replacing Matt Patricia. Of course, there's an Alabama connection there with Mac Jones, although they weren't there at the same time except for the spring leading up to the 21 draft. So I just think the Patriots um, are a good organization, obviously. Our uh, guest in the next uh, segment wrote the dynasty about the Patriots. You learn about the, inter, uh, the goings-on uh, inside there. I like that. I don't like Matt Miller to the Texans. Because I believe the Texans are going to take C.J. Stroud at number two. Okay. So I don't want Jaron to be a second rookie quarterback on a, on a I team. I don't think they would just, do that, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't, they're not going to pick another quarterback, I don't think. Unless they're, uh, you the know. The Texans didn't take C.J. Stroud, obviously, in Matt Miller's draft. Yes, but they probably will. Like, if Bryce Young goes one um, then certain, uh, to the Panthers, then certainly you'd think Stroud goes two to the Texans. I think they'd be nuts I if don't they know. don't take a quarterback. Because they obviously need one. Did Davis they take Mills a star is defender not, from Georgia. Who knows? Right, but uh, uh, Davis Mills, like sweet. Uh, you're going to be in the same spot you were uh, next year, probably. Yeah, the the seventh round one to the Giants. Don't like the seventh round per se. And Giants, hey, Daniel Jones, probably the guy there for the next three to five years. They just inked him for a new contract, a big new contract. I like the sixth round of the Patriots the most. I like the sixth round of the Patriots because the Patriots are the most solid organization. So if I had to pick one of those, then, yeah, I'm going to lead towards New England and Jaron Hall working with the two Bills. They have a fantastic track record. That's clearly, to me, the best and most solid foundation for somebody like Jaron Hall. However, as much as I don't like Jaron Hall going in the seventh round, and I don't think that's going to happen, I do not think he slides all the way to the seventh round, the Giants is intriguing to me because Daniel Jones, even though he has inked a lengthy contract extension, that feels like a good person for Jaron Hall to learn behind. Daniel Jones is a guy that struggled early, still has had kind well, of had one good year. Has, se- year. has seemingly turned the corner, though. And I just, I don't know, I like the idea of Jaron Hall being behind a guy like Daniel Jones and with an organization that seems to be moving in the right direction. I like the staff. I think they're fiery. They're motivated. 
Um, wouldn't it be something if BYU had two consecutive quarterbacks go to the New York market? Do we want that? In very different <laughs> scenarios, however. <laughs> yes, the Jets Giants, and the Giants are two different worlds. Giants have done what's called win something uh, <laughs> recently. Yeah, you can't look to Joe Namath and the Jets. You know what I mean? Mark Sanchez and the butt fumble. No. Uh, I, I don't know that Daniel Jones is the quote-unquote vet that I would like Jaron behind per se. Do you um, want him behind Mac Jones? That's where I struggle with the Patriots. Yes, because you get you might be in there in a year or two. I don't necessarily need Jaron to learn behind a pro per se. He can learn from the system, the team, and get an opportunity early. Like I would like Jaron to get a chance at something like Bailey Zappi did, where he came in for a couple games and makes it interesting and is a compelling backup, as opposed to like whoever is behind Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Like you're not gonna play. Mm. Um, you may learn something great, but you ain't going to play. I would like to see Jaron play in year two or three. Okay. So, and you feel like the, the Patriots give him the best chance. There's not to a do lot that. of stability with Mac Jones right now or Bailey Zappi. They, they will be Is in the Is it too soon for Jaron in year two? Is it too soon? Well, you got to play at some point. You're 25. Well, let's, let's average go. starting quarterback yeah. before last year was 28 and a half. Right, but you got to go. Your window is smaller than everybody else's. Not like a 21 or 22 year old like most of these guys. Okay, Blake Freeland. Jordan Reed has him second round, 47th to the Washington Commanders. PFF third round, 95th to the Chiefs. And Matt Miller has fourth round, 122nd to the Chiefs as well. What do you like? What do you not like? There's one clear answer here and it's the third round of the Chiefs. One, because going in the third round over the fourth round with both of those Chiefs prognostications gives Blake a bigger signing bonus, a better start to his career financially, but both have them playing for Andy Reid and the defending Super Bowl champions, and... We kind of like him around here. They need a tackle right now. Blake Freeland, if he goes that high in the third round, would have a legitimate chance to start for the defending Super Bowl champions in year one. That'd be awesome. I love that. I love the idea of Blake going back and working with Andy Reid and now Andy Reid's son, Spencer Reid, who's on the Chiefs strength and conditioning staff. He moved staff. from the street behind me. He lived there three months. Wild. He left. Wild. It's with the Chiefs. It's clearly the Chiefs with Andy Reid and that program, knowing that he could play, if not in year one, certainly would feel like, okay, Freeland is, Freeland is a guy for the Chiefs moving forward from year two on. So I like that most. The Commanders, 47, like, that's the best draft pick, so that's fun, thinking about Blake going mid-second round. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's an even better signing bonus. It's more prestige. I don't like the fit as much because the Commanders don't need a tackle as much as the Chiefs do, and I don't feel like there would be as quick of a transition to a potential starting position with the Commanders as there is with the Chiefs. I'm not his agent, so not, I'm not as keen on, like, how much money he will make. He'll make a bunch of money no matter what. But um, the Commanders are a dumpster fire for the most part. And Dax Milne is surviving there, which is great. I would hope that at some point he can get on a team where maybe Are they a dumpster fire? That feels strong. Have you seen the ownership? Have you seen the ownership? Well, it's it's hopefully changing, right? Well, hopefully is a nice sentiment that anyone could put in any situation. It feels like that someone else will buy that team, and that will help a lot. Hasn't happened quite yet, but yes. I love the Chiefs. It's like a John Tate pick. Go to the Chiefs. You play for a long time. Obviously, Andy and BYU guys would love that connection. That would be great. Yeah, that trumps the fourth round uh, to the Chiefs. So, yeah, third round to the, sh- to the chefs, yes. as the commercial once uh, said for Snickers. I love it. Hashtag great googly moogly. Great googly moogly. If you know, you That's, know. Go watch that on YouTube. That's a great commercial. On to Puka Nakua. And he, not surprisingly, as we expected, is showing up in the latter rounds. Jordan Reed, VSPN, has Nakua going sixth round, 180th overall to the Arizona Cardinals. 
Pro Football Focus has Nakua also in the sixth round, but 212 to the Cowboys. And Matt Miller has Nakua 222nd overall, joining the San Francisco 49ers. Jerem, which of these three do you like the most as far as fit, round, and whatnot go? There's some NFC West connection here against my Seahawks. Um, I really like the seventh round of the Niners. It's mainly because Niners, I hate to say it and hate to admit it, but the Niners are an, an incredible organization. They are fantastic. Kyle Shanahan runs an amazing offense. I think he knows how to use weapons and create uh, you know, situations where guys get open. He can take Brock Purdy and make him a guy that gets you to the NFC Championship game. Like That, that showed how good of a coach he is. Mm -hmm. And so I would love Puka on the Niners because I'd see him twice a year as well against the Seahawks. I like the Cowboys idea. I think that's fun of Puka Nakua playing for a brand like that. Is Simi Fajoko still there? But yes. You're going to have those two yes. dudes together? Like the idea of Simi Fajoko and Puka Nakua Utah there. kids. Remember this church like, together? Really fun. fun. Really fun. Yeah. I just with, with Kellen Moore as OC? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Brother Moore? <laughs> but do they – but Kellen Moore moved to the oh, Chargers. Oh, Kellen Moore that's moved right. to the Chargers. He moved to the Los Angeles Chargers. There you go. Sorry, the Los Angeles. I didn't Chargers actually know San that. Diego. Good for Kellens. Uh, L.A., that's great. Okay. I, I don't feel like the Cowboys need Puka Nakua as much because they have Simi Fajoko. They have a version of Puka Nakua on the roster right now. Now, wait a minute. They're just checking poly boxes no, at no, receiver? Come on now. In terms of physicality, you can always have more. Play. You can always have more. <laughs> wait, we have one. We're good. No, you can have five. I, I like him with the 49ers. I think that's great. And the Nakua's have a brand with the 49ers already. Kai was there for a few seasons. Like management, John Lynch, they know the Nakua's. I feel like that's a fun fit. So that, that's my favorite. 180th overall sounds a lot better than 222. I don't really care. Six, seven doesn't matter. But to I, me. I would, yeah. So I'd love to see Puka go a little higher than the seventh round. But yeah, to the 49ers is, is I think, the most uh, sustainable fit for a guy like Puka Nakua. Once you go fifth on, I don't really care. Like, it's just fit at that point. Yeah. Maybe even fourth on, day three. Yeah. Our question of the day is what round or what team a BYU player is drafted in more important to you? Okay, we're going round or team. Which do you care more about? Scott Solberg on Twitter says, I think it depends on what position a BYU player plays. For a quarterback, I would say the team. Look at Wilson for a great example of this. For uh -huh. offensive line, I would say which round means more. Better chance of getting playing time the earlier you're picked. Christensen is an example of this with Carolina. Yeah, third rounder. Hashtag BYUSN on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Following last night's win over Utah State, winning 3 of 4, BYU softball looking to keep it going tonight against Utah Tech, 7 Eastern on the BYU TV app. Joining us next is... New York Times best-selling author, friend of the program, Jeff Benedict. Hey. He's back in Studio B to discuss his latest book, LeBron. It's awesome. How is Danny Ainge involved? This is BYU Sports Nation. This portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day -day BYU Sports play-by-play. -play. I'm Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. It is now our pleasure to welcome in New York Times best-selling author, longtime friend of the program, Jeff Benedict, who went to number one on Amazon after his appearance on The Herd with Colin Cowherd recently. And so we're just going to go ahead and move you to number one on the Deseret <laughs> book list as well. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's official. That's really we're just going yeah. to do that, Jeff. Yeah. Let's get there. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I love the new studio. This looks fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we like it too. We love your t-shirt as well. The old school MTV Spring Break 88. 88. <laughs> Is this a shirt you've had the whole time or did you buy it later? I have a lot of old t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, through the washer a couple times you're good to go it's yeah. well played uh, your new book lebron is really fun jeremy and i were picking through it last night um we'll get to some of the specifics in just a minute but how would you describe the project overall as you put together this this new book on another incredible star uh this one was like at the beginning i felt like uh, the best comparison i could make I mean, we're in the intermountain west here so it was like looking standing at the bottom of a very large, wide base mountain and not being able to see the top and really wondering how am I going to get there as a, as a writer. It was, um, it was intimidating and at times I'd even use the word a little scary just mm. trying to, I, I felt a similar thing with the Patriots book. So I've, I've had this feeling before as a writer. It's, um, I actually think it's good though to be a little uh, uneasy and to, when you feel intimidated by something, it forces you to work harder and never assume that, oh, I can do this because I've done this before. I think when you do that as a writer, that's actually not healthy. And so I was definitely had that feeling of overwhelming sense of magnitude. Like this is one of the probably three greatest athletes in this century to come out of America. And... Um, He's the greatest basketball player of his generation, and he's in the conversation with Michael. And so there's a level of expertise he's attained as a performer, and you want to try to capture that as a, as a writer. Did you always want to do LeBron? Because you, you've uh, you know, checked a few awesome boxes here. Steve Young, you got Tom Brady and, and the Dynasty, which is excellent. You got Tiger, right. you got LeBron. Now, was LeBron like on your hopeful list of, of books in the future? Well, th that kind of thinking didn't happen right away. After I did Tiger, I... I pitched the dynasty next to my publisher and they said they would give me a contract to do the Patriot story but that first I I needed to gain access to Foxborough and once someone in the team either the owner the coach or the quarterback gave me access then they'd give me the contract in the meantime they wanted me to do something else and I said well why don't you suggest what that might be and having just done Tiger they said why don't you do LeBron and as soon as they said that I said I, I'm in. Like, I, I didn't need to think about it. It's sort of like um, that book Blink, where when your initial instinct is yes, you shouldn't question that instinct. I, I've said this, like, this isn't something I needed to talk to anybody about. I didn't need to think about it. I didn't need to consult. I just, in that room, I said yes. And then I went off and started LeBron, and then I got into Foxborough. So I stopped LeBron did the Patriots, and then mm. came back and finished LeBron. Jeff Benedict, New York Times bestselling author, is on BYU Sports Nation. Now, Danny Ainge is a name that is synonymous with high-level NBA personnel for right. what he did as a player and certainly what he's been doing as an executive. He is quoted in your book talking about LeBron, and it's a fantastic quote. In fact, Jerem found this. I'm going to read it I, I love this. Yeah. Pages 284 and 285 for those wondering. After watching LeBron in high school, Ainge told Sports Illustrated writer Grant Wall, if I were a general manager, there are only four or five NBA players that I wouldn't trade to get him right now. Incredible. 
Now it continues. A few years later, Ainge ran into Wall who told him, well, you were right about LeBron. Ainge told Wall, no, I was wrong. I should have said I would have traded anybody for LeBron. <laughs> what were it's your interactions true. like with Danny Ainge as you wrote this book? I, I love Danny um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, he, you know, look, when I was in high school, when MTV got started, Danny Ainge was on the Celtics. Yeah. And he was this young, brash player. I mean, gets in fights with Tree Rollins. I mean, he was just, <laughs> if you grew up in New England like me, and especially if you grew up in a, in, and you were like one of the only Mormons in anywhere, Ainge and Young were your guys. And I was a huge Celtics fan. So to be able to interview Danny for this book was great because Danny has had so many interesting intersections with LeBron James starting with the fact that Danny was one of the first NBA executives to see LeBron <clears throat> as a high school player, as a sophomore. He had seen LeBron play in a camp in New York, um, and he knew how good he was. And that's why when Grant Wall wrote that very famous Sports Illustrated cover story, mm -hmm. The Chosen One, he had interviewed Ainge, and Ainge said that quote. I, I would, there's like five players probably that I wouldn't trade for LeBron. And I remember when I interviewed Danny for the book, Danny said, yeah, he goes, I took a lot of flack for saying that at the time, his colleagues in the NBA were like, what are you crazy? This kid's in high school. Why are you <laughs> saying something like that? And then a few years later, it was apparent to everybody that LeBron was what the hype said he was. And that's when he ran into Grant Wall later and he said, no, actually I was wrong. I should have said I would trade everybody <laughs> to get him. And the reason that's really interesting too is because if you think about it, when LeBron gets into the league and the, the Cavaliers start to get better, their rival becomes the Celtics. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Celtics are the impediment especially when um, Ainge brings in Garnett and Ray Allen to play with Paul Pierce. That rivalry really heats up, and suddenly Ainge is now really intertwined with LeBron because the Cavaliers and the Celtics have these great playoff series that go on all the way till LeBron goes to Miami, and then it shifts. Now it's not Cleveland and Boston. It's Miami and Boston. And now it's Ainge fighting with Pat Riley. You know, and it just So Ainge has had a long life with him. And, and Danny said something interesting, which is, if you think about his career, as a player, I had to deal with Michael Jordan my whole career. And as an executive, I've had to deal with LeBron. <laughs> LeBron, the he's still dealing with him, right? With the Utah Jazz, which is crazy. I would love a Danny book in the future, by the way, just my little request to you. But um, I've been struck by what LeBron went through. We knew that, hey, he didn't have a father growing up. I have a nine-year-old, so I'm at the part where he's nine, and he's living with another family, and his mom's trying to make ends meet. What he went through um, was incredible to get where he is because it was less than ideal, but he, he attributes those hardships to turning him into what he became. You guys remember that story I wrote about Spencer Hadley when he was a player here yeah. called Redemption yes. for Sports Illustrated, which was one of the most popular stories I wrote in my time at SI. This part of LeBron's book reminds me of that, is that when you think about the families in Akron, Ohio, who raised LeBron, there's an expression that gets way overused, it takes a village. In this case, that actually is true. And I, I thought when I was writing this, the way that LeBron's mother raises LeBron has been misframed. Single mother, 16 years old when she got pregnant. I thought when she gives LeBron to another mother and father to take into their home and raise after fourth grade, 
instead of looking at that as someone whose life is a mess, I looked at it and thought, holy mackerel, do you know how much, how hard it is for a mother to give her only child away mm. to another mother to raise? That's, that's not someone whose life is out of control. That's someone who's got tremendous courage and love for their kid. And the Walker family that takes him in, Frankie Walker took LeBron in not because he thought he was a prodigy and someday was going to be a great NBA player. He, he didn't know that. LeBron, he's the one who puts a basketball in LeBron's hand. LeBron had never played basketball at that point. That's what's so beautiful about this. Frankie Walker, who's now the dad figure, takes LeBron out in the backyard, puts a basketball in his hand, and shows him how to play basketball. Here's what's so beautiful about this. A few months ago, when LeBron broke the all-time scoring record in Los Angeles with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sitting there, who else was in the arena that night? Frankie Walker. Awesome. Mm. I mean, those are the stories about LeBron that people don't know, and his life is full of that. It's just full of that. And if, if you like, like to me, those men and women in Akron who came into LeBron's life, they're the biggest reason that LeBron got out. Jeff Benedict, the great author, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. You've done a number of books. Of course, the referenced Steve Young book, and then the trio with goats, Tom Brady and the Dynasty, LeBron now, Tiger Woods. Are there any attributes that those high-level athletes share? You notice like uh, some common denominators? If so, what are they? Uh, yeah, personally, they're three very different guys. Um, but in, within the realm of their sport, there are some commonalities is I think the three, Tiger, Tom, and LeBron, they treat athletics like a craft and they're maniacal in their preparation. They love to practice. A lot of athletes love to play. They don't love to practice. Tom and LeBron and Tiger live to practice. That's a big difference. They live to study film. They, they've been studying film for 25 years. Even though, even when they became the best in their sport, their time spent studying film didn't actually d diminish, it increased. <laughs> and so, and as they've gotten older, because of the longevity of all three of these athletes, they've changed. Like, I, I'm not hesitant to say Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Ja Morant, you take any of those guys, they'll never catch Tom and LeBron. They never will. Because if you look at how Tom and LeBron started in team sports and the way they've methodically approached how they treat their bodies, how they play the games, they manage games. LeBron's a manager. He's managing the clock. He's managing his team. He's like a coach on the floor. Tom is like a coach on the field. That's why his relationship with Belichick worked so well for so long. Belichick had a coach on the field, not a player, a coach. And I just think that the, their dedication and their determination to be the greatest in the world is what drives them to be different than everybody else. But the discipline, it's that self-discipline. All athletes are disciplined to be at a base level. You have to be, right? They have to work out. They have to eat a certain way and be here at this time. They all do that, but there's levels to that. And then there's levels above levels. And I think when you look at guys like Tom and LeBron and Tiger, you're looking at three guys that are they're in a realm 
that no one else is in, and you're you're not getting into that. There's not going to be another quarterback who wins seven Super Bowls. Yeah. It's it's not going to happen. No. And you're the the fact that LeBron is almost forty, um, and he can still score forty if he wants to. He could score forty every night if he wanted to, or he can do twenty and twenty like he did in his last game. Thank you, Shaq. Yeah, for pointing that out. Yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Okay, uh, my friend this morning as I was driving in. We exchanged Marco Polos. He works in D.C. His name's Manti. And he goes, dude, you should read this LeBron book. I'm listening to it. I go, funny thing is, I know the author, and I'm reading it, which is awesome. What did it take to make this book? Because it's quite the process, speaking of process, yeah. for you. Um, did, let me ask you this first. Did your friend say he was listening to the book? He was listening to it. So that's, I just want to say something about that. I'm glad to hear he's listening to it on Audible because we got Chris Jackson, who played George Washington, in Hamilton on awesome. Broadway to read LeBron. Oh, nice. So it's like the voice of George Washington Ooh. thundering through. If he's <laughs> reading it, he's having a great experience. In D.C., no less. In D.C. Yeah. Well, now yeah. i got to listen to it on Audible. Yeah, yeah. It, the Audible is amazing because of Chris. Yeah. Um, your question was, what does it take to... What did it take to do this book? It, it's a, I spent about a year just doing pure reading. Um, I read, you know, 25 or 30 books. There aren't that many books on LeBron, but... I, I read a lot of other books that helped me prepare to write LeBron. I, read, I tried to read everything that had been written about LeBron. Um, I got subscriptions to the Akron Beacon Journal and the Cleveland Plain Dealers so we could have access to their archival libraries. And they were really cooperative. They sent me thousands of pages that we put into binders. So I had in order every single printed story that had ever been written about LeBron James from the time he was like eight years old and played in his first peewee game. And there's a there's an article this big in the Akron Beacon <laughs> Journal. You mentioned that. I yeah, that. some yeah. kid named LeBron James scored like three touchdowns, 82-yard runs. You know, he's just running past everybody. But I, I started there, and I every article all the way up, and if you saw the binders in my office that were filled, but that's a year of just reading. Mm. You're, not, you're not really equipped to do informed and educated interviews with subjects until you know what you need to ask. You don't want to have fishing expeditions when you do interviews. You need to really know your stuff because if you call someone like Mike Krzyzewski and say you want to do an interview, he needs to know from the questions that you actually have done your homework and sure. you know what you're asking. Otherwise, you're wasting people's time. And so I, and that's also in that process where you really get a sense of what the narrative is going to be. And, um, and so I, I lock myself away. It's, it's lonely, but I mean, that's when you really start to immerse yourself in the subject's life. And I did the same thing for Tiger. I did it for the dynasty. I did it with Steve. Steve was a little different because I was doing it with him. But, mm -hmm. but that's, the, that's the beginning process. And it's long. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy. It's, it's, it doesn't even sound fun. But to me, it's fun. Because if you're doing that with someone that you're actually fascinated by, then it is fun. It's work, but you're reading about someone and learning about someone that is really interesting. And so um, I found LeBron's origin story fascinating. And, and this is the value of a book as opposed to, you know, something that may be more um, surface level, yeah. which is you go real deep, you went super, and, and then you can, you can get in there. And that's why it's worth it to still read books, kids. Yes. Still read books. Like there are podcasts, there are shows like ours, there are articles, 
but books have value still. Yeah. Books have value because of that. Debt. Certainly. Yeah. I love you saying that. You it, keep it, saying that. It matters. My daughter reads a ton and I'm like, hey, that's the best yeah. thing you could be doing. All my, kid, my yes. kids are all reading this right now because I don't say much when I'm working on books and my wife and my children read them when they're done. And uh, my, my wife is, my wife doesn't, you know, follow LeBron, but she's reading it now and she's halfway through it. My wife's a huge reader and and she's halfway through it and she's like, I'm, I'm so into his story because I'm into his mom and all the stuff that's mm -hmm. going on. And to me, that's what it's about. The basketball stuff, you know. There's not a lot I can tell you about the games that he won because you know what games he won. But what you don't know is like all the stuff that, that is in him that he doesn't, that never comes out. How he met Michael Jordan, how he met Jay-Z, what kind of relationship he had with Jay-Z when he was a teenager. Just that sentence is absurd. He had a relationship with Jay-Z when he was teenager. a teenager. Yep. He had Michael Jordan's cell phone number in his pocket as a junior in high school and not bragging about it. I mean, that's, that would be like me when I was in high school walking around with Larry Bird's phone number and not telling my friends. <laughs> and, and that's the way LeBron was. He's very quiet about things like that. He's judicious, doesn't brag. Um, and those are the things I liked about his, the way he was as a child. It was sort of advanced. And you think, how does, he, how does he know how to behave like that? You don't brag about yourself either, but we're gonna brag about you. And you've got a book signing coming up in Orem. You can meet the author, Jeff Benedict. Come hang out Sign your yeah. book. What are the details on that? Uh, tonight in Orem at Barnes & Noble at seven o'clock. And uh, it's gonna be a talk about writing LeBron and then Q&A with the audience. And I'm excited to go to Orem Barnes & Noble because I've never done a signing there before. Fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't know you were coming in studio today. I thought it was the Zoom, so I was like, Jeff's here? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. The yeah. man is good here. Good to see you, yeah. For uh, BYU Sports Station and a book signing. My son is 11. He just started the Steve Young book. We'll get him into LeBron pretty soon. He would. It's, that's actually a, would be a great follow-up to Steve's story. It's LeBron's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Duly, duly noted. Very Jeff, good. thanks for uh, the time. Great to have you on the show, man. Thank you, guys. Always good, good to, to be see back. you, Jeff. Good to see you, thanks. guys. Okay. Uh, BYU Baseball hosts second place Portland starting Thursday night. Big series. Portland tied for second. BYU trying to get in the top six there. 8 Eastern on the BYU TV and BYU Radio apps. Apparently, ChatGPT has ranked the 10 best players in BYU football history. This is a fun list. Is he right? Is the AI right? We'll discuss next on BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Follow BYU Sports Nation on social media for content throughout the day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. He is Jerem Jordan. I am Spencer Linton. You know what time it is? Uh, 10.38 Mountain. It's also time to whip it. Okay. The Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. NFL Draft starts tomorrow. Is there one NFL team you don't want viewing guys going to no matter what? <laughs> uh, no, not particularly. I mean, Based on what happened with Zach Wilson and the New York Jets, I'm a little hesitant to send more BYU people that direction just because of how the fan base might react to that. So probably the Jets are, are at the bottom of the list for me. I have no one. It used to be like Raiders were clear number one, but they kind of have no, their crap in, together the a little bit. Get in the league. Yeah, no, just it's all good. <laughs> Colorado football. This is wild. Had 18 players in the transfer portal. As of yesterday, 18 joined yesterday. 41 total since Deion Sanders was hired as head coach. So at some point, do you think BYU is going to get one of the Colorado guys through the transfer portal? 
Maybe, uh, and we should call him a guy on a buffalo. Uh, if you haven't seen that YouTube video, you certainly need to. What a situation there. Dion certainly wants his guys in there, but 41 is a lot. Well, can you blame the players? Dion came out swinging a verbal machete, and there's going to be some backlash, right? He I'm said bringing he brought, my own baggage, he brought, and he, it's Louis. He brought his Louis Vuitton baggage with him, so yeah, a bunch of guys are like, all right, I'm out. So I hope it's a wide receiver for BYU. That'd be nice. KSL's Mitch Harper, homie of the program, published an article asking Chat GPT who the top 10 players of BYU history were. Here are the results. Steve Young, in order. Ty Detmer, Jim McMahon, Gifford Nielsen, Austin Colley, Luke Staley, Robbie Bosco, Ooh. Todd Christensen, Ziggy Ansah, and Dennis Pitta. Does your actual intelligence disagree with the artificial intelligence? Yes. Ziggy didn't play enough at BYU for me to be in the top 10 greatest at BYU. Like, Ziggy certainly has an incredible story arc and is, as we noted yesterday, one of the highest, most prestigious draft picks. He's the best Disney story BYU yes. ever. But was he great, like, for a no. long time at BYU? Yeah, so four and a half sacks his senior year. Exactly. That's not a great year. So that one, but his freakish potential is different. Kyle Van Noy is like, hey, what? Ziggy, Where am come I? on, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'd put Kyle Van Noy as a defender over Ziggy Ants on that list. It's weird because this list is, like, college-heavy in some parts, but NFL-heavy in others. Yeah. Like, Todd Christensen was a, a very good player at BYU, but he was a great tight end in the NFL. Ziggy led uh, the NFL in sacks one year. Dennis Pitta was... One of the best tight ends in college football history. I do love, like, Luke Staley was amazing. No NFL career there due to injuries. I have Jim McMahon at one. But, like, if you value Steve's NFL career, certainly he's number one. So I don't know what to make of this. And then you realize, oh, it's an AI. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Who cares? It's not that big of a deal. It's all good. It's actually pretty impressive that AI could come up with a list like this. I, I am increasingly becoming more scared of the Terminator. Where are Jamal Williams and Tyler Algier? Like, do you, does Chat GPT need a few more years of them in the NFL to add them to the list? Perhaps. Yeah, because Tyler's, woo, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very entertaining. Up next, speaking of football and BYU football, the Chief of Staff. Hail to the Chief. John Swift joins us next to tell us more about new renovations in the Student Athlete Building. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation hanging out in Studio B. Time for our second guest of the day. And with a salute, we welcome him on, the Chief of Staff. John Swift. How'd you get that title? That's the best title, dude. It's awesome. You know, I don't know, but, you know, I get a salute every day from Connor Pay, uh, and, you know, it's just the highlight hey. of my day, getting hey, a salute chief. and a hey, chief, What's up, uh, chief? every single day. Oh, so, Jeff Benedict was in here. He's a Boston guy. When you say chief, I think Robert Parrish. From the the chief? The chief. That was his nickname. The original the chief? Yeah, dude. Robert Parrish. That's, what I, that's where I go. <laughs> Isn't there a reference to Robert Parrish by Michael Scott in the office as well? Does he? Yeah, yeah, that's that's next level for sure. <laughs> uh, but we're, hey, we're next level with you, man. You're our chief of staff well, for BYU football. That. How would you assess, as chief of staff, before we get into the renovations conversation, just the overall state of the program right now. What's the feeling like in late April around the football offices? Uh, it's exciting. I mean, we've got a lot of changes going on. You mentioned the renovations. That's just one of a few. I mean, there's obviously a big change on the defensive staff. Um, we've got some turnover in the roster. We've got new guys coming in, some guys going out, looking for new opportunities. And uh, it's exciting all around. I think everybody is you know, resolute to be successful as we go into this inaugural year of the Big 12 and making all the preparations there has everybody just kind of amping up their level of, yeah. uh, you know, 
effort and uh, excitement. It's it's been fun. Colorado's got half their team in the transfer portal. Oh yeah, it's crazy. You guys stay oh, yeah. busy. Oh, it's yeah. been like a long engagement, but we're like used to waiting. Like we go on missions and whatever. You know, it will have been almost two years since BYU got into the league. To, well, not technically, like invited, officially accepted. July 1, you, we get in, right? And then we actually play on September 2nd. So let's go. Okay, football office expansion. Let's talk about uh, what this is and, and why now. Um, and it should be ready by what, August 1st? Is that the word? So July 15th, technically, so that, you know, we can be ready by August 1 in our area. Love it. Um, Academic Center, I think, is a little bit later towards the August 1, just because the kids report a little bit. Yes. But, yeah, we're hoping mid-July so that we can really be ready for fall camp, which will be August 3rd. Okay. What will this do for your program, like these renovations? Well, so the reality is, you know, as you go into the Big 12, Power 5 Conference, you have to get to the point where recruiting becomes everything, right? You have to look and feel the part of a big time program. And, you know, BYU's been there in, in how we compete on the field and in a lot of other areas, but, you know, getting a more functional space um, in terms of both recruiting um, space to host, to work, to function, as well as getting to a place where all around we look the part of a big time conference um, team was an important thing. And mm-hmm. so this is a, a step towards that um, in, in one of many areas of the program that we're trying to update. Defensive meeting room, three new position rooms, coach and recruit meeting area, updated hosting space, team meal area. Um, are some of these new or are they renovating existing spaces? Um, a little bit of both. We are expanding out onto a balcony area that I think in its uh, inception was meant to be kind of an entertaining space in itself, but it's just like not functional. Spot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just too hot, like the, where the sun is there. And so turning that into an 80-seat unit room so that we can have both offense and defense meeting as units at the same time in like theater-style seating is important mm. um, because right now they've had to share the space or go into a, a smaller room where it's not really conducive to meeting like that. Having a, a big recruiting hub where all of our full-time recruiting staff, the student staff, can have a workspace where they can collaborate um, and actually work together is important to make sure we're firing on all cylinders as far as recruiting goes. Um, so that's a new space. And then um, expanding position rooms, giving them an updated look and feel um, was another important step just to, to have a lot more functional space, but also space that feels new, looks new mm-hmm. um, and modern. And that will be exciting to recruits coming in. Does this mean, um, you know, being in a Power 5 conference and, and obviously having more TV money, does this mean BYU will renovate more often than it has? Is that the hope, at least? I'm not sure. You know, when this is done, it should, it should be to the point where it can function for a while. Um, you know, you see a lot of these other teams, even in our conference, that are announcing multi-million dollar, I mean, we're talking hundreds of million dollar facilities. And, um, you know, I don't know that that's necessary for us at this point in time. This, this can function well for what our program needs and who we need to be. In the immediate? Um, in the immediate okay. time. And then we'll see, you know, in the five-year, 10-year plan what yeah. that looks like. And BYU but, operates a little differently, right? Where <clears throat> they won't be like, yeah, we'll raise the money later. It's like, no, we have to raise the money, that's correct. then we build, yes, right? That's correct. We won't operate on debt. Yep we, yep, we need the money up front. We won't operate on debt, whereas, yep. you know, a lot of the other programs in the conference can and do, and, you know, it just creates a different um, mm. hurdle yep. to overcome. Brigham Young said uh, the Saints might be cursed with riches. Well, let's use that cursing uh, in the yep. form of more buildings, right? <laughs> let's go.
The BYU football chief of staff, John Swift, is with us on BYU Sports Nation. I don't see anywhere in this list an office upgrade for the chief. Um, (laughs) Do we need to add that? (laughs) Absolutely not, guys. I'm pretty low maintenance. You know, I don't want to do, you know, this is a little bit outside of my comfort zone as is. I like to be behind the scenes and let Kalani shine, let the program shine, the players shine. And so, you know, for me, I'm, I got an office right next to Kalani's. It's got a view of Mount Tipinoga. Okay. That's all I need. Very That's good. Good. I'm, I'm good there, guys. You know? uh, joking aside, I am intrigued by the private therapy rooms for specifically mental health counseling and sports performance counseling. How will that work? You know, it's, uh, that will actually be up on the third floor, but um, it, it, is a, it is a huge need. I, I, I mean, it's a very prevalent thing right now, um, mental health awareness, mental health issues. And so for our players, from both a therapeutic side, um, so mental health therapy, as well as just from a sports performance side, um, we've brought on some, some new um, docs who are going to help us out there. And having a private, comfortable um, space where they can talk with our players is sure. going to be a huge add and a huge benefit. And so, you know, they'll be able to sign up with those guys and they'll have a nice uh, space up on the third floor where they'll have a room where they can talk. And that's part of the Built for Life Center. It is part yes. of the Built for Life Center. Yep. And so it's Gary a- Verone will run that. But that, that's cool, too, because they're going to have a remodeled layout, uh, more rooms for studying, open spaces, more classrooms, the private therapy you mentioned. That's, that's needed, too. Yep. And, and let's be honest. Listen, Ty Detmer won a Heisman, didn't have all this stuff. BYU didn't have all this stuff, they won a national championship. But in 2023, you have to have all of this stuff to compete. In recruiting mainly, and then on the field. Absolutely. I mean, you guys mentioned Colorado already, but uh, you know, we're finding now more so than ever, right, that if kids find a better opportunity somewhere else, they're going to jump in and take that chance if they haven't already transferred mm-hmm. and if they can go play somewhere else right away. And so you have to do what you can to make sure that you have the right guys first that want to be here for the right reasons, but then also that you have enough that's going to entice them to stay around. And so, you yeah. know, taking all the steps necessary to get to that point. And, you know, the third floor renovations are huge in terms of setting our guys up academically for success. It doesn't do any good to have a baller on yeah. the field yeah. if they aren't eligible to play. Right. And so um, having a learning environment that's conducive to keeping them eligible is huge. Jeremy and I are politicking for a second IPF uh, independently of anything. We're Provo highest. But <laughs> this is what we want, John. This is what we want. So we'll continue to do that. But for Appreciate you, that. what's next in the progression chart for BYU's facilities and expansion and just overall program to getting better? You know, right now, right now it's just getting this done. Um, you know, this renovation and, you know, feeling comfortable in it, um, breaking it in and getting to the, the place where we use it to you know, the maximum potential that it's built to be. And then from there, seeing maybe where the needs are. Um, practice fields are, are probably, from a you know, logistical standpoint, the next thing we want to evaluate and just okay. make sure that our grass practice fields um, are more game-like to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, um, are one that we can play well into the season on and not have to worry about injury or things like that. So that's, that's one of the things that we've talked about and are hopeful that we can get a really nice uh, playing surface um, for practice since you're on that. I mean, we're in Lavelle Edwards Stadium six games out of the year, right? Six days, sure. whereas on the practice fields, we're there every day. Yep. And so just trying to get that to a point where it's a great space. And Let's get that primo Kentucky bluegrass going. That's what I'm talking what about. What is it now? Is it not Kentucky bluegrass? It is. Yeah. It's just not primo. Oh, okay. Not on the practice fields. Okay, then. Well, I'll go to IFA and get the number one, and we'll lay that down uh, coming up later today. John, great to have Thanks, you, Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, man. you. Always yeah, good to be got here. got it. Okay, if you missed any interview shows, Deep Blues, games, you can find them on BYUSN.com or download the free BYU TV app. And today's Rise and Shout Out, this is cool, to a religious leader in the community working with several different specific religious people. You're going to like this. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store 
official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Portion of BYU Sports Nation is presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. BYU Sports Nation is on demand. Download free BYU TV and BYU Radio app to listen to the podcast as you watch Blake Freeman. Just pump. Uh, we'll get those reps in. Subscribe, rate, and review to the pod as well. Our question of the day is which round or which team a BYU player is drafted in or drafted by more important to you? Our mm. elite voice of the day presented by PAX Healthcare Elevated comes from Hayden Shockley on Instagram who says, frankly, round is better financially speaking for the players. However, if they get on the right team and perform well, then they can make their way up the ladder financially speaking. Yeah, I would rather have it be a good fit and then they're in the league longer. Because if you're a fourth rounder, but you're out of the league in three years, like, yeah, you got some money. But again, I'm not their agent. Like, certainly I care that they make as much money as possible. But, like, in the end, I want them to just uh, play and, and uh, you know, rep themselves, their family, BYU. Yeah, and so I'd on like and so to forth. be drafted first overall by the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> good, good luck with that. <laughs> okay, maybe the first round pick by the Kansas City Chiefs is the safest bet. Maybe that's maybe that's like, like where go you to a, target. Yeah, go to a team that you know is going to win. A first round pick by a team that just won it all. Yeah, so be twenty through thirty <laughs> in the draft. First round. You go to actual good teams. Yeah. Today's rise and shout out presented by Mountain America, the official credit union of BYU Athletics. To Rabbi Haim Zeipel, the yeah. co-director of the Shabbat of Utah County, who visited BYU yesterday. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Utah County Rabbi. He met with the uh, BYU chaplain, Jim Slaughter. Uh, tweeted, great meeting with Jim Slaughter. BYU got to take home some swag. Now we can rep Jake Retzloff, the BYU quarterback on the field and in the synagogue. Speaking of Jake, uh, got to meet the hashtag BYU. That's what Jake is calling himself. Jake Retzloff on campus today <laughs> celebrated his bar mitzvah as Jake wrapped tefillin for the first time. So he's wrapped his arm. And he's got, uh, you know, the box prayers in there, which is super cool. And so I, we have not had a Jewish quarterback, and I don't know how many Jewish players yeah. BYU has ever had. Yeah. This is cool to have Jake Retzloff on, uh, on the team. Mori Bamba is Muslim. There are lots of different people from various walks of life. We've talked to Foose and Atiki, um, you know, who are Muslim as well on the basketball team, and they added uh, Ali Khalifa as well, which is great. Um, we're here to learn, and now we're learning about all kinds of different uh, cultures and religions yes. whatnot. Pretty cool. Yes, love that. And I hope that it becomes more and more frequent and more common so that it's, you know, we just, it's let's just, learn it from each other. Let's yes. go. Absolutely. It's an educational experience. Our thanks to today's guests Jeff Benedict, New York Times best selling author, and John Swift, the chief of football operations for BYU. Sorry, Dennis Pettit, we ran out of time. For Jerem, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Jason Buck. We'll see you tonight for BYU softball at 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain. Go Cougs.